It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Locked on Cavaliers. For Wednesday, May 16th, I am Chris Manning, your host from FearTheSword.com. That's SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers blog. On today's show, we are breaking down Game 2, which the Cavs lost. They are now down 2-0 to the Boston Celtics. Today's show is a quarter-by-quarter breakdown of the game, plus a big-picture look at the game with Fear the Sword's Ashley Bastock running through everything that happened that sees LeBron James and the Cavs get outscored by 20 points in the second half and and go back home down to nothing on their heels and in a position we haven't seen this group or LeBron in since he's come back from Cleveland. It's a very interesting time. A whole bunch more to talk about later this week, but today's show will give you the, the detailed analysis of really what went wrong in this game. Also up on the on the Lockdown Cavs channel is a draft lottery reaction with Fearless Sword Trevor Magnani. If you want to start thinking about the draft, go check that out. It's a different podcast, 15 minutes or so. We'll have more draft content as well, but wanted to separate that from Game 2. But here's today's show, the quarter-by-quarter breakdown of, of Game 2, of what went wrong for the Cavs, and then Ashley Bassock from Fear the Sword joins me to run through some of the, the more detailed points of the game as we look ahead and, and what some of the some of the big culprits were from this game. You can find the pot on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. Find the, me on Twitter and Facebook at CJMMRights. Please go on iTunes, leave the five-star rating and review to support the podcast. And if you want to reach me, email the show at LockdownCavs at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, but here's today's show. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the story of quarter one was unsurprisingly LeBron James. What a quarter from LeBron. 21 points for him, tying his quarter career high for the playoffs on 8-13 shooting, four three-pointers, got to the line as well, missed two free throws. The rest of the team shooting 3-11 of as the Cavs lead 27-23 after one. 
a lot to like from LeBron in this quarter. Number one, he was really aggressive, and it wasn't just aggressive in dribbling, 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 attacking. It was LeBron coming off of curl for his first bucket. It was him getting post-ups versus Marcus Morris. It was him taking three-pointers. I didn't love all the three-pointers he took, um, particularly some of the ones where he's pulling up I'm not a big fan of, but for him to come out and be this aggressive... I thought really set the tone for the Cavs. When you have LeBron doing this, it covers for a lot of your other issues, right? When he is actually imprinting himself onto Marcus Morris, when he is imprinting himself onto Jalen Brown, when he is making them react to him, it changes the dynamic of the series. He, it's obvious to say this, and it's it's almost cliche to say this at this point, but LeBron James, when he's like this, is the equalizer to any of your issues. To run through just how good he was, Number one, he hits this. He has a second three within four minutes of the game. Utterly fantastic. Um, he has a his thirteenth point with with five twenty one to go. Gets the Cavs up to, to nineteen points, surpassing their first quarter total from game one at that five twenty one mark. That's a really good sign for them. At five fifty two, he gets to the line after he gets a poser versus Morris. He only makes one of the free throw. But he's one point away already from his game one point total at that point in the quarter. And it comes via him chasing the type of looks that he is really well equipped to get in the series. Going up from there at 425, he passes his one game total with with a bucket. And it came off a really good screen from TT. And then at 338, Godmo LeBron exists. He hits this three pointer where the Celtics did a very good job, frankly, of defending him. And he hits a fadeaway three-pointer with Marcus Morris up in his grill um, in front of the Cavs bench with Ante Zizic celebrating with him. And just an excellent quarter from LeBron sets the tone for everything they did in this quarter. And for him to have that 21 points on the 8 of 13 shooting is basically perfect. Um, he, I did not love exactly everything again. I think some of his three-pointers were a tad rushed. But when you have a quarter like that from LeBron, it's hard to quibble with anything that he did. To look at what else um, happened in quarter number one, I think Tristan Thompson had an overall good quarter. When he was marked up with Al Horford, I think he did a good job against him. The moments where Al had success, say that corner three-pointer he hit or the dunk that he had, it's when Tristan lost him a little bit and the Celtics did a good job there. Uh, There was a really bad blown defensive coverage for uh, Jalen Brown late in this quarter. At 227, they just seemed to get confused. LeBron not coming out to to maybe cover that open shooter and it's an open three and stuff like that I think cost the Cavs an opportunity to push this lead up a little bit further uh, from where it was. And then you you look at some of the the, the miscues from the the other Cavs. JR misses an open three. Kevin Love missing some shots, but overall I think an okay quarter from them. George Hill was the was the guy that to me stood out. He had a 10-16, had a really good mark uh, against Morris, drove against him, used his body and some crafty ball handling to, to get a bucket and score. He did have a bad possession a minute later. At 9-09, he's blocked by Al Horford. Just a little too much dribbling. I think that those two possessions show you that Hill, he has to toe that line and, and be really smart and intelligent when he's picking between attacking and implementing himself and, and trying to hold back. But overall, I think a good quarter for him. And you have to talk about Kevin Love's dunk. He cuts off ball. It seemed to be um, a play that wasn't exactly called. He just read the right play, got a pass on LeBron. An awesome dunk from him. But the Cavs lead by four after one. You did see Larry Nance return in this quarter, and the Cavs return to him with Corver and Green coming off the bench at the same time. We'll see what other rotation changes they make. We'll see if the Bron can keep this up, but a much better first quarter from the Cavs, especially compared to their game one. The second quarter was another good effort from the Cavs. They take into halftime a 55 to 49 lead and they overcame I think a couple adversity filled moments and stretches which which was good for them 
Number one, you start with LeBron not starting this quarter. And this is always something this, this his whole time back with the Cavs that has been an issue with this team. But you saw a lineup of Hill, Hood, Nance, Corver, and Green only get outscored by the minus one up until the 8-14 mark when LeBron returns. They're at five at that point after leading by six after one. That is a good stretch for them. This was with George Hill continuing to play the whole game. No Jordan Clarkson in the second quarter or in the first half. The Cavs cut this down to an eight-man rotation with with that being, or a nine-man rotation with, with Nance coming in for Clarkson. Excuse my math, journalism major here. But... This was a good start to the quarter. This was exactly what you needed. It was with Kyle Korver having a bunch of points. I think Larry Nance's screening was a much better. If you go back and watch the film, I think you'll see him actually setting screens. Whereas in other moments, you have seen him not always set the most physical screens. It's one of my issues with him as a player. But he did a really good job here actually making contact and freeing up guys like Kyle Korver. Then LeBron comes back. Korver continues to play really well. He has 11 points in seven minutes in this quarter. And he he did what he was not able to do in game one, and he just ate people up off ball. He was eating up Marcus Morris, or excuse me, Marcus Smart, and cutting off the ball, getting open looks. And yes, Marcus Smart took some interesting paths to guarding Corver. He was coming under screens. He was not staying close to him, and that's all the room Corver needs. But that is really, really big. Um, getting these buckets from Corver when LeBron was not quite as dominant in that second quarter, I thought really, really mattered. The other things that happen here is you have a, a really good stretch from Jason Tatum. Um, he did pick up a third foul late in this quarter that I think helped the Cavs late, but he he's fantastic. He had nine in a row at one point, scored twice in a row on Tristan Thompson versus switches, and he brings it brings this game um, with under ten and within a close amount of wins. They're down five, for for instance, with five fifty five to go, and the Cavs respond to this. They respond to this Tatum, Tatum burst. LeBron scores uh, by 428. They're up 10. Um, that's their biggest lead of the game. That's a part of a 7-0 run. They lead as many, by as many as 11 in this quarter. And it was good to see the Cavs, I think, respond to this adversity and push back up that lead and to extend that lead and to take advantage of the things that they're good at. Boston just frankly did not have exactly the type of response that I thought they had in game one here. LeBron, again, was was more aggressive. Um, Corver, I thought it was just much better. Tristan made a really big impact. I thought Nance's minutes were good. I think the absence of Clarkson really honestly made a difference. You got some good minutes out of Hood as well. He wasn't as aggressive as he was in game one, but didn't set up a Kyle Corver three on a, on a smart pass off of a jump stop. So a good bit of play for him there. And yes, Jeff Green had a bad two bad possessions in a row, but he had two blocks in the quarter, had a corner three late in the corner, and you got some good minutes out of him as well. So they kind of just dealt with this rotation, dealt with who they had out there, and got pretty good minutes out of everyone that played. LeBron did have this next strain, according to ESPN, in this quarter. Seems like he's fine, so no worries there. And he did come back after missing about two-ish minutes with that next strain and absolutely abused Greg Monroe in the pick and roll. Uh, my play at this quarter, probably my play of the game so far, is is LeBron pausing, looking through, Al- through Greg Monroe and feeding a cutting Tristan Thompson for a dunk. So a fantastic play there. Boston also was attacked the Cavs in his own, so the Cavs are getting a different look. The one downside for Cleveland right now is that they did give up uh, two quick buckets late in the quarter to only take a six-point lead into the half, and you also had LeBron only going two of eight from the line. So a couple little small things there, but overall, a very, very good half for the Cavaliers, and, and they lead Boston in game two at this point. This is Jake from Locked On. 
Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So the third quarter is where this absolutely unraveled for the Cavs. This, to me, is where they lost the game. To run you through some of the highlights of this quarter, they had not a whole lot go out right. So LeBron, a minute into the quarter, roughly, gets beat on an easy flex cut from Jalen Brown. Just bad defensive effort. Shouldn't have been beat there. Terry Rozier starts scoring in this quarter. He scores first with 916. Uh, Then Jalen Brown attacks JR at 846 and scores. He had an overall really, really nice game. Then 845, the Cavs' lead is down to five. Marcus Morris at 819 puts this to a two-point Cavs lead. LeBron responds... But it doesn't really last because you, you get deeper into this. Rogier ties the game at 66 with 6.15 to go. 5.14, to me, this is where the game really starts to pivot. Morris scores one-on-one versus Tristan Thompson. He gets a three-point play and then ties the game at 69 and all after he makes the free throw. The guys jaw at each other. Marcus yells in his face. There's double text, but he ties the game. That's all that really matters there. 4.32 to go after the Cavs did score. Marcus Smart hits a three to put the Celtics up one. And then Jarek, because Jarek Smith absolutely lost in moving off ball. Nowhere close to him and could not get around the screen. That's Boston's first lead of the game since 3-2. Jarek responds with a clank throughout the dribble. LeBron throughout this is just not as aggressive. And that, that in itself is a big problem. By the end of this quarter, the Cavs are down seven. They're outscored by 14 in the quarter, 36-22. Everything absolutely falls apart. Not at all the type of quarter I would have expected coming out of that first half. And, it, and it's just capped off by silly things. You know, Kevin Love, uh, at a one one eleven to go, they miss Love posted up versus Smart, which I think is something they should have hunted down. And LeBron misses a runner. Okay, that's fine. It happens sometimes. But then in the next possession, Terry Rozier is left open and hits a three for his 14th point of the quarter. Rodney Hood, all he had to do was rotate over to Terry Rozier to, to contest the shot. Doesn't make the play, just stares at him. Something I don't think Jetty would have done, or some of the other guys in that team would have done. But it puts the it puts him hits fourteen points of the quarter. Boston gets that seven point lead, and then Love misses versus Smart in the post. Cavs trail by seven, completely unraveled here. Um, and you'll hear more about this in the in the in the big picture breakdown of this game with Ashley Bastock. But uh, just an overall a terrible quarter for the Cavs. And to me, this this just felt like a, a big, big turning point of the game and a sign that this was just not going to end well for the Cavs. The Cavs, to their credit, if you want to give them something positive, did respond in the fourth quarter to some degree. They don't start off well, mind you. Hood, Corver, Green, Nance, and Hill start the fourth. 
Hood turns it over early. Just a bad, bad game for him. And Boston goes up nine after Semi Ojale makes two free throws off of that turnover. Corver then misses a three. Marcus Smart then finds Greg Monroe. Boston goes up 11 with 114 to go. LeBron checks back into 1041 for Hood. So they're down 11, immediately sunk in a four points, unlike the first half where they actually handled themselves well. Big difference there. Love is back with Hill, Corver, and Green at 926. They're, they're going to go for this in full. So LeBron drives a little bit more in this quarter. 908, for example, he drives versus Monroe, gets the, the and one, just absolutely takes advantage of that switch. That's really, really good. But then 738, Marcus Smart gets to the free throw line. He makes both free throws. The Cavs are back down by 11. 709, LeBron takes a really bad shot. 612, Smart on a third chance for Boston, puts Boston back up 11 again. Then you can get you get things rolling a little bit more here. 514, LeBron gets the A1 versus Morris. He, he They created a good look for him by putting three guys on the weak side of the floor, and LeBron drives and scores. 443, he gets his 40th point on a jumper where he, he, he used a good Tristan Thompson screen to get to the free throw line, pull up, and score. Gets him within six. Boston calls a timeout. At this point in the game, if you're feeling optimistic about the Cavs, you have to say they have a shot. This is a team that is still in this game coming out of that timeout. They would have a shot to potentially figure this out and get themselves in a good position. And then it just unravels again. 349. Marcus Smart gets into it with JR because J.R. Smith pushed out Horford from behind on a on a on a roll to the rim. He's trying to follow him, but it's a dumb foul. It's a dangerous foul. He should have been called for a flagrant two, in my mind, no question. He only gets a flagrant one, but Al makes both free throws. Boston gets the ball. He and Smart get double techs. And then Horford follows this up by absolutely cooking Kevin Love for an N1 in the post. Boston goes up by 12. It's their biggest lead of the night. He scores again with 2.56 to go on a pick and pop. Rozier scores to put the Celtics up 16 with 1.48 to go. And this is over. The Cavs pull everybody out. Uh, utterly disastrous second half. LeBron was not particularly great in the second half by any means. But this is a 42-point LeBron game. A 9 of 18 Kevin Love game where he had 22 and 15. A triple-double from LeBron. 11 points from Korver. Okay, good minutes from Tristan. Okay-ish minutes from Hill. I frankly think this is a bad coaching game from Ty. A bad, a bad, bad run of play from a lot of guys. Hood was Hood was awful. I don't know what else you can say. They they absolutely just crapped the bed in the second half. Third and fourth quarters just utterly disastrous basketball from the Cavaliers. And now they're down 2-0. They are, frankly are probably going to lose the series. They should not feel real confident going back. They have some some adjustments they can make. We're going to talk about those more in the days to come. But to, to break down this game more, Ashley Bassock from Fearless Order is going to join me in the last segment to break down the big picture of this game uh, as we look ahead to, to Saturday's game two. Uh, but that's our quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown, and now Ashley is going to join me to break the rest of this game down. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Okay, now Ashley Bastock from For the Sword is with me to break down the big picture of Game Two. Ashley, uh, when when let's let's start here. When the Cavs were leading at halftime, 
and had played a pretty good first half. LeBron was particularly good in the first quarter. Did you expect what happened in the third and fourth quarter to come? Like what when when it went badly for the Cavs? Did you did you see this unraveling coming? I mean, I'm always nervous now with third quarters, just given the fact that we've seen the Cavs do this all year in third quarters and kind of lay down. The LeBron taking a shot to the head from Jason Tatum's shoulder was particularly worrisome. I mean, obviously he came back out, but, you know, that in and of itself, you're kind of wondering, okay, he's back out, but, you know, if the neck is going to be an issue, um, you know, how is that going to affect him in the second half? I think we saw it did. He kind of slowed down considerably despite having another 40-point game. Um, but, yeah, the I mean, I think the thing that was surprising in the collapse was the Cavs not hitting shots that they hit early on in the game. Uh, and that kind of was the undoing for me. And, you know, just the fact that the Celtics did not flinch in the beginning of that game and normally when LeBron is playing the way he did tonight throughout an entire first half and when you have Kyle Corver hitting threes that stuff is kind of deflating to whatever team they're playing we saw it with the Raptors you know particularly but the Celtics didn't do that tonight so I guess I I am surprised but I'm not surprised and that sounds like a non-answer but I don't even know how to put that into words to make it not sound like a non-answer at this point yeah Boston did a really good job uh, to their credit of coming back coming out firing in the third quarter the Cavs held it back for a little bit but then I'm just I'm gonna run through my notes uh and and tell and show showcase just here what really went wrong so third quarter starts and the Cavs are pushing through this they're doing okay we get to the in the five um we get to the 514 mark and here's this is two back-to-back plays that really went in boston's favor so marcus morris scores one-on-one versus tristan thompson with 514 to go he gets fouled these two straight they yell at each other marcus morris yells in thompson's face they get double text marcus makes the free throw and it's a tie game the Cavs don't score then on the next uh, possession. Marcus Smart hits a three-pointer, or the Cavs did score, but Marcus Smart then puts a uh, hits a three to put the Cavs up by one. J.R. Smith on this play absolutely just has I don't know what he was doing. Absolutely loses Marcus Smart. Smart gets to the top of the key, gets a wide open three, and then Boston gets his first lead of the game since it led three to two. The Cavs led this whole time up until this point. On the next possession, the Cavs have J.R. Smith clank a three-pointer. And then Terry Rozier gets an easy dunk on the breakout. As a result, the Cavs have to call a timeout. Ashley, I don't know about this for you, but for me, in that moment, when we saw that happen and we saw the Cavs just frankly fall apart in that moment, that is when I was I was very sure that they that they were if not already in trouble or were pretty teetering on the edge of this this getting ugly. That to me was the the point where I was like, I don't know if they they're going to hold on to this. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I agree. It was the second they, you know, went up again that I was like, oh, no, like you can sense it coming. Um, And then from that point on, it almost felt like I was watching this game in slow motion. Like I'm watching it happen and you just know what's coming, you know, and, and, you know, after the Celtics, you'll continue to go on that run. The Cavs 
never got closer than I think six in the fourth quarter. Like it was like watching it in slow motion. You just know you knew what was going to happen. You could see what was happening from a mile away. We've seen different versions of this team this year do the same kind of stuff and just fall apart down the stretch. Um, and whether or not, obviously. We don't know the exact severity of what's going on with LeBron right now. Like I said before, other guys stopped hitting shots. Um, all of that combined with, you know, certain role players and I don't know how much you want to get into it, having terrible games like J.R. Smith, um, like George Hill again, kind of being invisible. Uh, and you get this collapse. <laughs> and it was one of those things where you're watching it and once they went down, I just kind of felt like there's no way that the Cavs are mentally tougher than this Boston team, at least not tonight. Let's talk about Jr. for a second, because he was he was really bad. We're going to get into the that fourth quarter, but Jr. <laughs> uh, I I cannot in, in words really explain exactly how bad he was. Um, oh, seven from the field. 0-4 from the three-point line was just all over the place on defense. Like, other guys were bad, but I don't know if there's a player egregiously hurting the team more than him during the stretch. He, he played at the end of the third quarter and was bad. Uh, he had that foul on Al Horford, which in my mind sh clearly should have been a flagrant two. And then he... He doesn't. I mean, he stays in the game, but he he just feels Boston's comeback at that point. He can directly. They're they're only down six at that point. He directly contributes to Al Horford helping the Celtics push their lead to a game high, and just not making any shots and is taking bad shots. I cannot remember a like he's he was due for maybe a game like this because that's what he was in the regular season. But by far, this was the worst J.R. Smith game of the season, and there has not been a point where the Cavs were more vulnerable to having. That themselves partially undone by J.R. Smith being this absolutely bad. Yeah, and I mean, for me personally, what I've come to accept with J.R. Smith over the last, you know, three and a half seasons, whatever it is now, since 2015 when the Cavs got him, you're going to have nights with J.R. where his, he's a streaky shooter. Like, that's just the reality of the situation and where we're at. If we have a night where J.R. Smith can't buy a three-point basket, I can live with it if he at least puts forth some effort on defense. And we've seen him be successful um, in the postseason that way throughout these last, you know, four playoffs now. And particularly against the Warriors, when he hasn't scored and for as angry as people have gotten over him, you know, not scoring in the finals or whatever, it does help for him to actually be trying on the defensive end of the floor. It does, you know, when he's active, when he's engaged, and he just wasn't that tonight. And that's really, for me, the most disappointing part of what we've seen from him in these first two games this series. He just has not proven effective uh, on any of the Celtics guards, no matter what, you know, matchup he's looking at. And that, to me, is always going to be more disappointing than how however many points he puts up in a given game.
The other part of this quarter that really, to me, emphasized what was going to happen was 43.8 seconds left. No one gets on Terry Rogier on the on the right wing or the yeah the right wing for Boston. He strokes up three. He is at 14 points in the quarter. It puts Boston up by seven. Caps off that 36 to 22 advantage they had in that quarter. Rodney Hood literally stares at Terry Rogier. Um, did the right thing and forced the pass. He needed to rotate again to to protect the shot. The Cavs' defense was obviously just because it's the Cavs was out of sorts. He sh- all he needed to do was rotate over one more spot to contest the shot, and and maybe it's a miss, and maybe it's eleven points versus fourteen points heading into the f- in that in that quarter as a, as a disadvantage, and they're only down four. But he just gives up an open three, and that kind of stuff ended up killing them. To to go to the third quarter. Or the start of the fourth quarter, excuse me. The Cavs obviously sit LeBron to start the fourth. They go Hood, Corver, Green, Nansen, Hill. Uh, Hood had a terrible turnover to start this quarter. Leads to a, a, a semi-Ojale basket on the other end, or at least gets the free throws. They're up by nine. Corver then misses a three. Uh, Greg Monroe gets a bucket for Marcus Smart. Get They go up 11. LeBron's back. They hit the crater down to down 11 in just a little bit. He sits. And then the Cavs do push back, right? Like they do get some credit here for getting themselves within six. Uh, it's four forty-one to go. The Celtics call a timeout. LeBron hits a jumper that forces this to get his fortieth point of the night. And then this is where the JR thing comes in. Three forty-nine. Horford gets fouled by JR again. Should have been a flagrant two. They go up by 10 after the free throws. Then on the they get the ball back, obviously. Al Horford scores one-on-one versus Kevin Love. Absolutely smokes him, right? Just blows by him in the post. They go up by 12, and it's the Celtics' biggest lead of the night. He misses the free throw on the end one, but they're still up by 12. Tristan gets called for an offensive foul. Corver comes back in, so at this point, the Cavs have decided to pivot to all offense, and then it just doesn't matter because Al Horford picks and pops to put them up 14. Rogier then scores with 148 with no one contesting after a couple different um, rebounds, I believe. Just utterly decimated at the end of this game. They got within six and were in striking distance. And it took, frankly, you know, two minutes, if that, less than two minutes for the Cavs to just completely be undone there and for them to, to for Tyler have to, to wave the white flag. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really think they were going to come back and win this. Just the the mood around them, Boston having that energy advantage, LeBron again not being that aggressive in the fourth in the second half for most of it. But I mean, it, if you're going to say one positive thing about this, at least they got close ish for a moment. But it they, I got, they just crapped the bed after that. There's no other way for me to spin it, and that they just Boston just might be better. And I think that the Cavs didn't really help themselves, but Boston just might be better. And the Cavs just kind of let them have to let themselves down at the end of this year. Yeah. And the thing that's frustrating for me is that I don't know if Boston is better, more talented wise. They're certainly not better experience wise. What they are better at is mental toughness. And that's just something we've heard over and over again tonight, whether it's the commentators, whether it's on Twitter um, whether it's just a basic eye test that tells you that, you know, at the end of the game, they're within striking distance. Like you said, they're still, you know, sniping at each other a little bit on the court after that Tristan offensive foul, obviously the JR flagrant one technical free throw situation was kind of like that for sure was the end for me. Um, and mentally tough teams just don't do that. And 
you know, the Cavs have just shown over these last two games that they are not on the same level as Boston is with that. And yeah, you know, there's a reason Boston hasn't lost at home these playoffs yet. And we saw it tonight. Once that crowd gets into it, those they feed off of it. And the Cavs just, for whatever reason, were not able to hold on to that first half lead and kind of put their, you know, end it when they had the opportunity to. They could have come out after the halftime with, you know, a bit more fire and, you know, finish the game off that way almost. And they just don't, didn't mentally have it tonight. And it's, that's the most frustrating part for me in all of this, because if they do come out with some of that fire, then what happens? Is the series tied or are they up two to nothing? With the Cavs now down to, you know, the first time LeBron has been down in Eastern Conference final series since 2008. This is uh, a long time for him. I mean, it's, it's functionally a decade for him without this, without this type of deficit. The Cavs do come home. They're off until Saturday. There's going to be there's going to be media. There's going to be discussion about what they're going to do these next couple of days. But actually, when you when you look at where the Cavs are at right now, you look at what we've seen these first few games. I mean, do you feel like there is is a shot for them to actually come back at all? Do you feel like this is this is just the, like an, uh, inevitably delaying the end if they win game three, game four? I mean, just, just is there any reason for the Cavs to feel optimistic about where they're headed right now? I mean, I don't know if optimism is even the right word to use to describe my feelings. Um, I will say the only reason I'm not completely pessimistic right now it is LeBron. Like. That's the only rational reason I can give, because other than that, I don't even know how to begin spinning this, the this series, either of these first two games into something positive, because I just don't see it. Like, you've maybe seen spurts from guys here and there. Obviously, what Kyle Korver did, particularly in the first half tonight, was a positive. Kevin Love played slightly better. Um, but other than that... I, there is no spinning this for me. The only hope, if you can even call it that, and I don't know that I can, is the fact that we have LeBron. And like you said, the last time the Cavs were down 2-0 in a series was in 2016 against the Warriors. Obviously not an ideal situation to be in, but it's not unheard of um, for LeBron to come back from a deficit like this. The, the the things that I think did come out of this game that were positive were number one, I did think the 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 removal of Clarkson was good. I think the emphasis on George Hill was maybe a little too much for his minutes total, but I think worked. I thought Tristan was was overall pretty solid. Um, the numbers indicate that as well, and I thought his screening was good. I thought Nance set good set good screens at, and played some good defense in his minutes. I thought Kevin Love was excellent cutting off ball. I t- I t- I I sent a G chat message to our Fear the Sword editor group. Uh, in the third quarter that said there's a lot of basically there's a lot of gunk going on in this game but Kevin Love off ball is really fun he was cutting well uh he was him and Corver had some really nice action where they just let LeBron pass to whichever one got open off the action I thought that was nice but that's probably not enough they're gonna have to have good defensive effort for an entire game Boston is continuing to just create a lot better shots in the Cavs 
if you just run through all of this, that is all that <laughs> that really matters here. It, it just they're creating better looks, they're getting more, and they just are being so much more aggressive and and taking advantage of Cavs' weaknesses. It's going to be interesting. Game three is Saturday in Cleveland. Uh, I I it's going to be a weird vibe. I and game four is going to be a weird vibe as well because of all the the drama and the speculation surrounding this. But Ashley will be there. Ashley will be covering the series four for the sword as well as any of sports insiders. You can find her on Twitter at Ashley. Bastock 42 Ashley, thanks so much. Thank you. And we are out. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.